0: We're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Cale Johnson with Dica Gossett, and I am the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the ABA's Antitrust Law 2017 Spring Meeting in Washington, D.C. Uh, joining me today, I have Trish Connors who is the co-chair of the Consumer Protection Committee of the ABA Antitrust Section, as well as the Chief Deputy in the Florida AG's office. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Kale.
0: Before we get started, could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Well, yes, and before I do that, let me just do the standard disclaimer, which is that I'm speaking on behalf of myself and as co-chair of the ABA's Consumer Protection uh, Committee of the Section of Antitrust Law, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the Attorney General, the Florida Attorney General's Office, or any other AGs um, as we go through the interview today, Kale, To tell you a little bit about myself, um, I've been in uh, public service uh, basically since I came out of law school, uh, graduated from the University of Florida in the early 80s, and has have a uh, and been in various positions within the attorney general's office, pretty much since then. I had some clerking opportunities and things like that with a appellate judge, but then. Started in uh, criminal appeals in the Florida Attorney General's office in Tallahassee and moved soon thereafter to um, the antitrust section, where I thought I would be there for five seconds, just learning how to do civil uh, enforcement and civil litigation, complex civil litigation. Learn how to spell antitrust without a hyphen, things like that. Very important. And yes. And so ultimately... because the cases take so long and they take a life of their own, I just really got into it. And um, what's the
0: longest case you've ever worked on?
1: Um, from for antitrust, uh, probably you know six, seven years. Um, but I was wrapping up some cases um, from my predecessors that were 20 years old in some cases. So um, they go on for a bit, and the multi-district litigation process can be tedious and and long, and uh, it gets more and more complicated as I get older, it seems. But eventually, I had opportunities to do other things and moved up through... Um, the front office and um, became a deputy who oversaw the Consumer Protection Division, the, the Antitrust, Medicaid Fraud, and the others, and now I'm Chief Deputy there. Um, so mainly concentrating on enforcement issues, but obviously dealing with all of the litigation stuff. We've got 1,400 employees in the Attorney General's office and about 450 lawyers, so it keeps me busy.
0: So about how much of your time is spent doing consumer protection versus antitrust type work?
1: Well, now that I'm in a management role, I am I pretty much am just keeping the trains running on time, both in uh, consumer protection, antitrust, and any of the other enforcement uh, agencies. But when I was doing more substantive kinds of things, ever seeing both of these units, it was probably... You know, sixty or seventy percent consumer protection and thirty percent antitrust. Not because the focus was, you know, substantively more important in one area than the other, but just that you can you can. There's so many more consumer protection aspects and perspectives that go on within the office. It's a much larger unit, and it's that's true in most AG's offices. And it's also, you know, there's just you can run the gamut on the kind of cases you're dealing with on antitrust for the state AGs. Anyway, you're talking about, you know. A dozen cases maybe at any particular time that are actively being moved forward, and they're not going to move very fast, so you don't spend as much time on them. And then you might spend a large amount of time, depending on whether the litigation is going on or you've got settlement conferences or whatever might be happening.
0: So could you give me just an example of what would be like a typical consumer protection case, maybe something from the past that you can talk about? Um, just to give the listeners an example.
1: Well, you know, state tend to focus on cases where there's a lot of consumer harm. They might, they might also focus on cases where there, you need to create a large deterrent effect quickly on a particular kind of scam. So the things that um, we're focusing on now um, are technology scams, which are really big right now. We have a whole – we're working with the FTC as well as doing our own cases um, where, you know, just the simple scams. We have a lot of seniors in Florida – Phone calls uh, come to the senior citizen um, or, or in some cases they're on their computer and they get a they just get all of a sudden a display that says their computer is about to implode call this number um and they call the number and they think they're talking to a microsoft technician whoever it may be that person takes control of their computer and then eventually manages to sell them a fix-it package worth 59.99 or whatever it might be that is you know completely bogus because there's nothing wrong with their computer in the first place and so that's a big scam right now and a lot of um a lot of people not just seniors fall for it and um we're working close with the FTC. We brought some multi-state cases recently. Um, we've got our own cases going. I think we're on our ninth or tenth announcement of a case there. And that's an example of where we're trying to obviously mitigate the consumer harm and educate consumers. But we're also trying to create that deterrent effect um, to try to stop the scam artists from moving into that area, understanding that there's a high likelihood that they might get caught doing it. Um, that's, so that's one example. Um, but we go, the, you know, we go to much more complicated cases. There's lots of data breach issues um, where we work with companies to try to um, resolve uh, issues there and, and ensure that consumers are protected as quickly as possible if they were impacted by a data breach. There are uh, off-label marketing cases in the in the pharmaceutical world that touch on mod- Medicaid fraud, but also consumer, um, where you know uh, governments or individuals are you know being prescribed drugs that sh- they shouldn't be prescribed because it's not approved by the FDA, and um, those are consumer protection cases, and those are the kinds of cases where there may not be any apparent consumer harm from from the perspective of anything that might have happened to that person for taking the drug. But the fact is they're be using a drug that hasn't been approved by the FDA and nobody's actually disclosed that to them. So those marketing practices and those kinds of things are common cases that are handled both at the local level and the multi-state level.
0: Wow, so you really cover a wide range of cases.
1: Wide range. And I, I picked those three areas just to show you how how wide it can be, runs the gamut. We just finished um, participating in the Volkswagen emissions case because there was a consumer protection component of that. Um, where the obviously uh, Volkswagen not disclosing that it had done deliberately uh, bypassed you know certain emissions controls to and, and deceived um, the U.S. Uh, regulators in the process, but they also de- deceived the buyers who thought they were buying cars that were green cars that met um, the standards that were the emission standards uh, prevalent in the United States, and that wasn't the case. So we were part of that uh, large, large effort. Nearly, I think, nearly a billion or so dollars went out um, just for consumer relief or redress, either in the form of uh, getting uh, your car repaired or replaced or um, getting some sort of a compensation for buying something that you didn't realize wasn't what you thought it was.
0: Right. Now, was that a multi state effort?
1: Yes, it was. Okay. And in federal, state, everything. I mean, environmental, consumer protection, class action, feds. It was pretty amazing. And all, it all came together in one in one large resolution.
0: So one thing I've always wondered about is how do you decide when, because on behalf of Florida, but when do you decide uh, to go it alone versus joining a multi-state effort or working with the FTC or DOJ, whatever the case may be?
1: Well, you know, it really just depends on the circumstances. Um, In the tech cases, for example, the FTC started making those a priority as well. And we just got together and started working those cases together um, to try to you know, establish some examples to people and create hopefully some sort of deterrent effect. Um, But we'll go it alone a lot. If, If states have enormous numbers of complaints, it doesn't matter what the FTC is or isn't looking at, we have to act on those complaints. It could be something as mundane as a cable provider just not disclosing promotions, or whatever it might be. That might be local to Florida, or whatever state you happen to be in. But it could be other things that require more of a, a regionalized or local attention. And then, if states are all impacted by the same sort of conduct, that's where you'll see some some likely coming together. So, Volkswagen, everybody was equally impacted by what happened there. Um, the pharmaceutical off-label marketing, everybody's equally impacted. A breach case, you know, if it's a large large corporation, equal impact means that the states will work together um, to get a comprehensive solution, which is good for the companies because then they're not working with 50 different jurisdictions on the same issue. Right.
0: So in your recent practice, I would say, are there any like high highlights or trends or what's going on in Florida right now that you can talk about in terms of where you see consumer protection going in the next few years?
1: you know, that's actually a a pretty good question from the regional perspective, because you never know what the next major scam is going to be. We have focused quite a bit in Florida on, you know, out and out fraud. And um, we've expanded a lot recently to try to ensure that we were, you know, working on themes. So the technology cases were an example, but we've got contractor fraud cases, we found that the regulators that actually do the licensing with contractors don't necessarily look at what the impact is on consumers. So pool contractors leaving big holes in the back of people's yards and then, you know, taking off with their money and not finishing the projects. These are actually things that, you know, contractors actually set up the stuff, go and, and, and move on, not expecting to be caught. And really nobody was doing a lot of widespread enforcement on that. We're also doing more on construction defect cases, um, uh, there's there's misapplied stucco, there's things like that, where uh, the purchase contracts with the developers who build those homes often have arbitration clauses in them that foreclose uh, class actions and push people into arbitration. So, you know, someone who's been deeply impacted with a home that may not have the funding to hire a lawyer, you know, ends up... Uh, having to um, basically live with the defect and not have, a, not have any recourse unless we step in. So those sorts of things, I'm worried we're going to be trending more and more toward, hopefully hopefully not for the long term. Um, you want to think that there's good construction in Florida <laughs> and that uh, you know, everything else is, is, is not, the consumer is not going to be impacted for a, a long time in any one particular area. And if we create that deterrent effect, they shouldn't. So that's sort of what our focus is, to create themes so people know that we're out there.
0: Now you said you went to the University of Florida for law school. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And undergraduate. And yeah. undergraduate. Mm-hmm. So you're a double Gator. I am
1: a double Gator. I myself,
0: am a double Wolverine.
1: I'm sorry to, to hear the, that. To the University <laughs> of Michigan. Uh,
0: <coughs> I believe our teams are playing each other to start the season. Next is that year right? In okay. Dallas. Okay. Are you going to be there? No. You don't, you know, don't travel to <laughs> Dallas for games.
1: I like to watch. I like to watch games on TV. I like to see instant replay, and you know, I love Gator football. And I actually do watch Michigan, too. So, All right. uh, yeah.
0: That's what I like to hear. Well, I, I will probably be there, but I guess I won't see you there. Nope. What I was wondering is how do you go from University of Florida Law School? What was your path to get into the attorney general's office in Florida? And what advice would you be able to give to law students or young attorneys thinking of making a transition to a government career?
1: it's hard to stay in government obviously it doesn't pay well um but i really think it's a wonderful opportunity early on in a career and if you can make it work for a whole career i I don't regret a single thing that I did, staying in public service. But at University of Florida, I graduated fairly young. Um, I was only about 22, I think, at the time when I graduated from law school. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I clerked for a judge. And I did that on purpose so I could see the kinds of cases that I might be interested in doing. And ultimately, I got an offer doing appellate work in in, uh, Tallahassee, and I didn't, not, not knowing what else I really wanted to do I went ahead and grabbed it and thought I would be there just a few years but what you find when you start in public services unlike private practice where many of my friends went is you get so many more opportunities to do things early on and I was blessed to work with some wonderful mentors um, people both who had been longtime career um, you know household names in their in their in their work as far as the legal community goes and um, then when I went into antitrust I just someone said, Hey, there's an opening over there. If you want to learn civil enforcement, go over there. So I went and, um, there I, I was exposed to it just happened to be during some of the biggest cases the unit had ever done this was uh, the school milk bid uh, rigging cases were going on which Florida started um, they ultimately led to a lot of criminal prosecutions and people going to jail but we were working on them had 23 24 witnesses who would testify to out and out bid rigging of school milk contracts I thought all the cases were like that by the way but I just walked into a case that was f- fascinating and we happened to have some law firms working with us because we were very Small at the time, and I learned from some of the most brilliant litigators that I, you know, have ever practiced with, and learned early on some litigation skills and things that I'm not sure I would have been exposed to, um, just in 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 another context. And so, that just kept me going. Every case brought a different, you know, moment of learning. Every case brought. Um, some other exposure to something that was interesting to try to resolve. And in antitrust, you can use a lot of creativity to both bring cases and resolve them. And so um, I've been doing that and enjoying it for most of my career. Um, So for young young folks, I would say, you know, if you have a passion for a particular area or you're even not sure what you want to do, Um, If you can swing it and student loans aren't killing you and you can you can take some time to either go into public service, either go be a prosecutor, go learn um, the ropes on how to navigate a courtroom early on and get some really good hands on experience and see if that's for you. And if it's not or in four or five years, if you have to go out and make some money for the family, you know, you've been really it's not time wasted because you've been exposed to a learning process that may take a lot longer if you were in
0: private practice. So what brought you to your current position as co-chair of the Consumer Protection Committee?
1: Well, it's a long and winding road, Kale. but (laughs) I actually did it, what I would say, in in my parlance, bass-ackwards, where I ended up um, starting at the top and working my way down. (laughs) I I started as a multi-state task force chair for NAG, National Association of Attorneys General, and they have the antitrust bureau chiefs from all the various states get together and have form a task force and talk about all the multi-state cases. It's been going on since, you know, uh, the early 80s. In, and, um, the task force chairs take three to four years, there's no set term, but three to four years to sort of oversee how the task force is managed and, and how litigation moves through the pike or investigations move through, through just providing some organization to the states and in what in, in the investigative and litigation process with the support of the National Association of Attorneys General Staff. And um, uh, that role um, brought me into the ABA antitrust section where I where I um, did a lot of speaking for, like, the spring meeting and some of the other events of the ABA hosts, um, but also um, put me out there on the Enforcement Forces Roundtable, um, which is Friday morning of the spring meeting, uh, exposed me to a lot of uh, people I wouldn't have met otherwise. And I just realized I really enjoyed the people in the section. They're really a great bunch of people and I enjoy coming to these meetings hooking up with them um, you know people that I would be on the other side of the table with routinely are people I consider very good friends and we obviously can separate that just like you can in the private bar but it's it's a wonderful experience in that way because you get to know people as people and not as the lawyer just sitting across the table from you it also exposes you to maybe opportunities you wouldn't have otherwise. And and professional growth, I preach it to my folks all the time that I work with, is so important. You know, taking that time to go to the networking event or taking that time to go meet folks and and just, you know, learn a little bit more about what, what other folks are doing out there opens your horizons. It may cause you to want to do something else and go into a different career path. Um, it, there can be some changing moments from experiences in the in the section that are good for both your personal Growth and your professional growth. So for me, I, I started doing that as the task force chair, did the speaking, was on the council um, um, in my own right shortly after that, and then had have have had a couple of you know various um, leadership positions, culminating now with the co-chair of the consumer protection. And I agreed to do that because you know, there's been a real desire in this in this section within the section leadership for a long time to put uh, consumer protection out there. It doesn't really have a home at the ABA, so the Section of Antitrust Law has uh, made a concerted effort to make consumer protection one of its hallmark components. And so my co-chair is Felana Gantz, who's the chief of staff at the FTC now, and myself as two enforcers, we're kind of uniquely placed. Um, to try to see what we can do to develop that. And we've worked really, really hard to have a consumer protection track that that is full, you know, bore all the way down the line for the spring meeting um, so that people who come as pure consumer protection practitioners can come and go to a full line of CLE and, and still feel like they're, you know, uh, growing as part of the section as well. And I think during our tenor, tenure, I hope during our tenure, we have really upped the game a little bit for the consumer protection side of the, uh, of the equation. Um, as long as it's, it's going to be in the section of any trust, it needs to be there with gusto. And that's what we're trying to do.
0: So, if there are folks out there that want to get involved with the Consumer Protection Committee, is there a way they can do that?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, um, you know, we've obviously we're on the Connect page like everyone else, um, and they can they can uh, come to us that way, or they can email. Uh, me at trish.connors C-O-N-N-E-R-S at myfloridalegal.com and I'll be happy to uh, talk to them about what we we return all of our calls. Um, We talk to everyone about what their interests are and try to get them involved and we've gotten a lot of people, new people and new faces even just recently as we've done that. We're pulling in as many state enforcers as we can that may be interested and then of course um, Svetlana Gans, my co-chair, S-Gans, G-A-N-S at FTC.gov is always ready to respond to anyone who might might want to inquire about getting more involved.
0: All right. And I guess we'll just do one more question for today. Um, so... What has your favorite panel been so far at the spring meeting? My
1: favorite panel? I actually came away from the one I was enjoying the most, which is the mock trial. They had a really good opening on the clearance. You know, it's the clearance process with the movie theater stuff. And we've actually had some involvement with that in our office. And so um, really good openings. I watched the two of them. They were just starting witnesses when I I left. So I'm going to go back and see how how they do with the expert testimony and the the jury decision, because it looks like it's pretty interesting interesting
0: well i'm really sorry to drag you away from that (laughs) no Ah. i'm happy to be here for everyone out there who's never been to the spring meeting it would be a good idea to come down and check out the mock trial the mock trial really is an enjoyable portion of the spring meeting so for everybody who's never been uh, maybe you should come next year and check it out this has been another edition of special reports my name is kale johnson and until next time thank you for listening
1: thank you kale